Hey there, teachers. Since you're a regular podcast listener, and I know you're committed to improving your literacy instruction, I want to make sure you know about our free private podcast, the Confident Writer System Series. This private podcast was the result of so many teachers asking me questions about how to teach writing. I'd get questions like, my schedule is already so crammed. How do you find enough time to teach writing? Or my students struggle to write complete sentences and paragraphs, yet I'm expected to get them to write a five-paragraph essay by the end of the year. Help! (laughs) So I decided to put together a five-episode private podcast series that will teach you how to teach writing in upper elementary. In this short series, you'll learn the five mistakes to avoid when teaching writing in upper elementary, simple routines that will take your students from confused to confident, and manageable ways to teach writing every day without feeling rushed. You're going to get access to a podcast workbook that is filled with freebies and writing resources. So if that sounds like something that you want, then head to stellarteacher.com slash writing podcast. That's all one word, stellarteacher.com slash writing podcast and sign up for this free private podcast. These episodes are only available inside the private podcast and trust me, you're not going to want to miss them. You're listening to episode number 83 of the Stellar Teacher podcast. Okay, give me an update. How many days do you have left until summer break? I know you have to be getting close, and more than likely, because I used to teach in the South, if you're in Texas, Arizona, or any Southern state, I can only assume that you really probably have a week or two left. So hang in there. You are so close. And if you happen to be one of my Northeastern friends, I know you guys go into the middle of June. So hang in there. You're getting closer too, and I promise to be here cheering you on every step of the way. Now. Today on the podcast, I have another amazing guest and podcast host that I am so excited to connect you guys with. I was able to interview Alexis Shepard from The Afro Educator. And if you don't know Alexis yet, you're definitely going to go want to follow her on social media and subscribe to her podcast. She is a teacher friend that you are going to want to have in your corner. She is fun. She's encouraging. She's supportive. And she also happens to be an expert in self-care and teacher wellness. And she is incredibly passionate about what she does. If you look on her website, her personal mission is to empower teachers to reframe toxic narratives, exercise their agency, and co-create cultures of wellness so they can show up as the best versions of themselves both in and out of the classroom. And when I read that, I was like, okay, sign me up. I want to be a part of that. And I'm sure that that is probably something that you want to have too. So you're definitely in for a treat with this conversation that we have today. And on the podcast, Alexis shares five mindset shifts that teachers need to make when it comes to thinking about radical self-care. And this episode really is perfect for you to listen to as you roll into your summer break. One of my favorite things that Alexis talks about in this episode is using our summer self. I have never heard that phrase before, and I'm obsessed because you know Our summer self as teachers is the refreshed, energized, relaxed version of ourselves that has time for naps and meal prep and hanging out with friends and using that version of ourselves to help us plan our self-care journeys for the fall. She just provides a ton of insight into self-care and shares some really practical and effective strategies that you can do now and over the summer to set you up for self-care success next year. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and be sure to go follow her along over at her podcast and on Instagram. We'll definitely link to all of those in the show notes, but for now, let's jump right into our conversation. 
Teaching literacy is tough, but with the right tools, you can be not only good, but great. Amazing. I'm talking off the charts impactful. Hey, I'm Sarah Marie, a literacy specialist with over a decade of experience working as a classroom teacher and school administrator. Tune in each week to this podcast to hear no-fluff lesson ideas and strategies that will help you feel confident in your abilities to truly grow your students as readers. Are you ready? Let's dig in. Hi, Alexis. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chit-chat with you a little bit today around all things teacher wellness and just how I got involved in this space and also hopefully offer some helpful tips and tricks for teachers along the way. Absolutely. I am so excited that you are a guest on my podcast. I'm super excited. Alexis and I connected over on Instagram and I love any time that I can connect with other education podcasters. And as Alexis mentioned, she knows a lot about self-care. And so that's kind of be our topic of conversation today, which I'm excited about. But before we get into like the good stuff, Would you just go ahead and give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and that way my audience gets to know you a little bit better? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Alexis Shepard. I'm also known as the Afro Educator over on all social media platforms. I am a former veteran teacher, so I taught for about 10 years, and I recently transitioned into a new role, and I'm an admissions counselor at a university in South Carolina. And so that's been really exciting because even though I'm no longer in the K-12 education space in the classroom. I'm still very K-12 adjacent. I work with prospective college students and their families and helping them navigate the college admissions process and really still helping to empower them to take control of that choice. So that's super exciting. When I'm not at my nine to five, I'm working on all things Afro-educator. So helping to empower teachers to step into their best selves through different wellness practices, encouraging them to prioritize themselves. So I started the Afro Educator back in 2018, so it's been about almost four years at this point, and sometimes it seems like it's been a lot longer than that, and then sometimes I have these moments where I'm like, whoa, it's only been four years, so. Well, the fact that you said 2018 was four years ago, I was like, oh, that's been like two years. I was like, oh, wait, no, we're in 2022, like 2018 was a minute ago. (laughs) Because honestly, I feel like 2020 and 2021 like melded together. And as a society, we've chosen to collectively just forget them. I'm doing my best. (laughs) Okay. So I knew that you were in admissions because I've seen you talk about it on Instagram, but I had this brief moment. I forgot that I, my very first job out of college was actually working as an admissions counselor for my university. And I love how you say that's like education adjacent because it is such an important decision for students and definitely like a huge part of like the education process. And I'm sure your experience in the classroom and with wellness probably makes you a really amazing admissions counselor. So we'll have to talk admissions counseling offline at some point. Yes, for sure. For sure. (laughs) Okay. So you are, like you mentioned, you know, really committed and passionate about helping empower teachers to embrace self-care so that way they can live their best lives. How did you get interested in this topic? Oh my goodness. So it really started, I would say back in 2017, I had this moment where I was like, okay, I think that I'm ready to shift out of the classroom space. I've been teaching for about six years at that point. And I started applying for different job opportunities. And during the course of that 2017, 2018 school year, I applied for like six or seven different jobs. And I was so arrogant, admittedly, because I have been really fortunate in the past and 
typically when I apply for a job opportunity, right, like I'll be offered the position. So I was feeling really confident in my ability to snag a new position. And I had been having a great school year. So there was nothing wrong. I wasn't feeling burnt out, but I just thought, oh, this will be great to leave on a high note. And so I applied for all these positions. And by the summertime, it was very clear that I was not going to be offered any of these positions. I mean, like, didn't even get a call back, right? Just really didn't have a lot of the experiences that these positions were looking for. So anyway, that summer, after I realized I wasn't going to get any of those positions, I kind of had a little bit of a breakdown. And I realized that I had some mental hangups about continuing to teach. And in my mind, as I was thinking about going back into the classroom that fall, I struggled to think about how I could still teach and be happy, how I could teach and still experience joy. And one of the first thoughts that I had after I just, you know, boohooed on a friend's couch was I've got to facilitate some mindset shifts for myself. I have to, you know, sort of change the way that I'm thinking about going back. And I say going back, I hadn't left at that point, but in thinking about starting a new school year, I was really wanting to make sure that I was starting the school year in a way that I would be able to not only serve my students well, but also be kind to myself. And so really the wellness stuff kind of started with me and it started with me wanting to go on my own wellness journey to pour into myself so that I could continue to teach and live well throughout that school year. The other piece of me empowering other teachers towards wellness didn't really start until I would say late in 2018, like that fall, when I just started uh, looking at Twitter and I started just kind of scrolling and seeing different things that were posted about self-care. Self-care wasn't even in my lexicon. Teacher wellness was not a thing for me. But as I was seeing these things, I would like retweet them. And I had a Twitter follower who messaged me on Twitter and said, hey, I see you posted some things about teacher self-care. Would you like to come on my podcast and talk about them? It all starts with a podcast. <laughs> okay. Literally, it all started with a podcast. And I had never been on a podcast. And I wasn't even really like a big podcast listener at the time. At that moment, the Afro Educator as like an entity existed, but it wasn't, you know, a teacher brand or anything like that. It was just my social media handle that I used to connect with other teachers. And so when I got invited to do this podcast, he sent me the questions beforehand to preview so that I could prep for the interview and they were all teacher wellness and self-care related. And I found that as I was prepping for this interview, I just had so much to say and I felt so just passionate about what I was talking about. And it really kind of started from there. And just through those questions, I recognized that I had a lot to say and that I had a lot of experience to layer in with that. So it really kind of started with that podcast and me recognizing that based on my own experiences, I had a lot to say about teacher wellness and how we could reclaim and own that wellness to teach and live with more joy. I love that. And I just think it's such an important topic to talk about with teachers. And I I think your story and your journey kind of getting started with it, how it's like, you know, you had these expectations for being possibly in a different career and those weren't met. So you had to like readjust your thinking in order to, you know, have a joyful year of teaching. I think for so many teachers who are in the classroom, having to constantly readjust their expectations post the pandemic, I think is a thing that we're still working through, you know, because it's like, I know in 2021, teachers are like, I'm going to go back and it's going to be 
all better. <laughs> and from what I've heard, it's been, you know, more challenging. And it's just, uh-huh. I think that's something that so many teachers can resonate with. And so I'm really excited for you to share some of these mindset shifts that you kind of like discovered and learned about with my audience. Cause I know that, like I said, they'll benefit from that as well. So what are kind of some of these mindset shifts that you experienced throughout your journey? I love that you used that word journey because it definitely has been that and it has evolved and changed over time as I've just had more experiences, as I've worked with more teachers, and as I've taken all of that collective experience and sort of synthesized it into these lessons or these mindset shifts, as you call them. So I think the very first thing that really struck me along my self-care journey is this idea that like self-care isn't a set of tasks to check off. And for a long time, it felt that way for me. There are these things that I know are good for me. There is these things that I know will make me feel better. But after a while, it started to feel like all of the other things that I had on my plate, it felt like something additionally to do. And it took me, I would say, a couple of years to recognize that self-care is this ongoing practice and that it's not a quick fix. It's not an immediate solution. Like I do this thing and now I feel better. That to me is a separation between more like a self-indulgence and self-care. And I want to be clear that I'm not criticizing the self-indulgent practices. Those indulgences help us feel better in the moment. And sometimes we need that. But self-care is really this more deep inner work that changes and evolves as you move along your journey. For whatever reason, and I think part of it is, is we're so busy as teachers, but the whole like trying to not make everything a to-do list. I mean. I have like post-it notes all over my desk. Like I've got on my phone, on my computer, like I live by a to-do list. Yes. And so I think like I try to prioritize my own self-care and it often becomes a to-do list and a checklist. So I love that it's like, okay, it can't be a checklist. I don't know if you have any like tips or suggestions or like, how do you make it not a to-do list? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that is part of the journey (laughs) in and of itself is embedding self-care as a mindset, as opposed to just things to do. and. When you get to the point where you recognize what it is that you truly value about self-care and what you value about taking care of yourself and your own wellness, it becomes this piece that's built in. That's not to say that you're ever perfect at it, because certainly there are practices that we can each engage in individually that promote self-care. So for some people, that's meditation or prayer or journaling or exercise. But on top of those things, it's also about how you think about yourself and how you're honoring yourself as well. So I like to encourage people to think about self-care instead of thinking about it as a list or as these items that I can do. Think about it as a mindset first. You may not always get those actions done, but how are you thinking about yourself? Are you listening to yourself? Are you honoring your body? Are you honoring some of these thoughts that you're having about needing to slow down? I love that. And I'm like, I need to do that for myself. Because I I think like, yeah, I'm just literally thinking like, you know, coming off like an exhausting weekend with so many things on my to-do list. And I'm like, I need a break, but I don't give myself a break because I've got so much to do. And I know teachers kind of feel the same way. So it's like, how do we go about making that mindset shift? Whether it's like, I don't feel like I have enough time or I don't feel like I'm deserving or I don't feel like I have the autonomy to take care of myself because I've got to show up to work and they're students. So Of course, I'm just going to like pepper you with questions here because... Yeah, (laughs) yeah, no, for sure. And I I think it really starts with how you think about some of those self-care practices. So when I hear break, there's a certain idea that goes through my mind about what that looks like. And early in my journey, that looked like restructuring what that looked like. So for me, you know, at one point a break was, I need to be able to take an hour nap 
But of course, being a teacher, taking an hour nap was never reasonable. It was never realistic. And I could always think of something else to do during that time. So it looked like shifting that idea from an hour break to a five minute break or to a three minute break or to something that sounded more reasonable in terms of time, but didn't always feel reasonable when it came to my body. But it was about taking those teeny tiny baby steps to start small and celebrating those small victories as well. I love that. And I love that example of, sure, I I want an hour long nap, but I can't have it. So I'll take a three minute break or a five minute break or something because even that small amount of time as rest or stepping away can do a lot. Yes, it really can. And I don't think that we can underestimate those teeny things either. You know, it's like, I have been trying to be better with exercise over the last few years. And for the first couple of years, I thought, okay, if I'm not working out for at least 45 minutes to an hour, is it really a workout? As opposed to restructuring that to, am I intentionally moving my body? Even if it's only for a few minutes, it's also about the intention behind that action as well. I love that. And that, again, goes back to just that mindset shift. Like, how are we reframing our thinking about exercising, about breaks, about self-care? Those are really good. What other sort of like mindset shifts have you kind of gone through? So one of the, I think, most important things, especially now because self-care gets such a bad rap, self-care has become really popular in recent years. I feel like when I started occupying the teacher wellness space, it was still very new and you know, there was a lot of novelty to it. You didn't hear a lot of people talking about self-care because I, I feel like I got into the wellness space right as there was a lot about mental health also that was just more in popular media as far as mental health and mental wellness becoming destigmatized and that sort of thing. But with self-care, what I've noticed in recent years is that everybody's talking about it. And while it's great because there's this increased awareness and there's a lot of language around it, I also think that it can be harmful because there are a lot of ideas about what self-care is and about what self-care isn't. And I think that that contributes to people feeling like self-care really doesn't matter or like self-care really isn't a solution. And I want to be clear that I don't think that anyone is positing self-care as a solution for some of the systemic issues that plague teaching and make it so difficult. But certainly, you know, when it comes to the kind of change that the teaching profession and that K-12 education needs, I think we all have to accept the fact that that change is a long-haul situation. And for me, what I like to think of self-care as is this way to mitigate some of those stressors so that you can, in effect, play the hand that you've been dealt and so that you can do so without being miserable, that you can teach and you can live with joy amid all of the other chaos or what seems like chaos sometimes that's going on in classrooms and in that K-12 setting. But with that, I think I have to mention that self-care isn't self-serving. And it's really easy for us to imagine that self-care is selfish. I think number one, because that self, right, piece of the word makes us, I think, automatically associated with it being selfish, something that's only for you. Because when we think about words that begin with self, it seems like it just prioritizes you for your benefit. The thing about self-care is that you are, yes, prioritizing yourself, but it is in an effort to serve other people and to wear all of the other hats that you wear in your life well or better. I think for me, that's been one of the biggest mindset shifts that I've had about self-care is the fact that, yes, I'm doing this thing for me, but it's really so that I can be better for others. And I think when we look at it that way, it almost seems more like community service. 
Hey teachers, I'm interrupting this episode with some exciting news. My friend, Dr. Lori Friesen, has just opened the doors to the Ready for School Academy. If you are just graduating with your teaching degree or are finishing your first few years of teaching, but you wanna find a more streamlined way to run your classroom, then this academy is for you. The Ready for School Academy gives you a streamlined roadmap to help you prepare for your first few years of teaching. You'll walk away from the academy not only knowing what to do this summer, but how to fully prepare for the next school year. Dr. Lori provides training and resources to help you with things like setting up your own custom classroom management plan, preparing for Meet the Teacher, and she even has ready-to-print plans for your first week of teaching. So if you want to start the school year with less stress and the support you need to be successful, then definitely go check out her Ready for School Academy. You can go to drlauriefriesen.com to learn more, and we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. I think in a lot of cases, and I know I was this way as a teacher, I mean, so many teachers go into education because they have such a heart of service and, you know, they just want to give like they, we love our students. We want to do everything we can for them and for the community and all of that. And I think so often when we're like giving, 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 we forget to take care of ourselves. And then I think when, you know, people do say things like self-care, I think that teachers can be like, all of a sudden now it's like, wait, I've been caring about other people so much. I'm supposed to care about myself now too. And I can see how it very much would be like, feel self-serving. And I love that you said that it is not, and really like is necessary to make you the best. I also love how you talked about self-care is not the solution. It's not going to be the thing that fixes the problems that we have in education, but I love the idea that like when we become mindful of like our self-care practices and actually prioritizing ourselves, it can help us better handle the situation that we have, you know, whatever that is. And so I think that's such a good sort of, I don't know. I just, I love thinking about that because it's like, yeah, we can't fix that. Like self-care isn't going to fix all of the problems in education, but it might make a teacher more equipped to find joy in the day-to-day with their students. Yes. Yes. And well, and to deal with those problems as well, right? Like if you're constantly in a state of burnout, you're not even going to have the capacity to think about how you might affect change when it comes to that systemic shift. So, you know, as much as we want and as much as we need and as much as we deserve that top-down change, as we're waiting for that, I think we do have some responsibility from the grassroots level to also do what we can to impact those ripples. Because at the end of the day, Teachers who are in classrooms and teachers who have had classroom experience can best speak to the kinds of changes and the kinds of shifts that K-12 education needs. But it's going to be really challenging for you to do that if you are burnt out, overwhelmed, frustrated, you don't have any tools and you're unequipped to be able to fight those battles, right? If that's what you're choosing to do. And so I think that also self-care, not only helping you serve others, but equipping you to be able to impact that systemic change as well. Yeah. I love that. And then not to mention, hello, let's just talk about life outside of the classroom and education. I mean, self-care just helps with that as well. You know, it's like, I always, I want the teachers in my audience to be successful in the classroom, but I'm like, I want you to be successful out of the classroom. And I want you to have time to do things out of the classroom. And exactly. Self-care helps with family and friends and all of those relationships and stress and everything else outside of teaching as well. Of course. And because, you know, one impacts the other and there's intersection there. If you are happy outside of school, you're also going to bring that into school and vice versa. And I don't think that they have to be mutually exclusive, but so many of us operate from that mindset. I remember having this idea that I could compartmentalize both. And while there's a piece of that that's important, you know, that you're able to have those boundaries between work and home, I think it's also foolish to think that one won't affect the other. And I think that if you are able to leave 
you know, this more authentic, more joy-filled life outside of the classroom, then you're able to bring that in the classroom as well. And they both create this like positive feedback loop. Do you have any like ideas or suggestions on how teachers can sort of try to bring the two together or like how they can incorporate self-care into the classroom as well? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that was a huge game changer for me when I started practicing self-care in the classroom was setting boundaries in the form of office hours. So in the beginning of my career, I was extremely accessible, meaning a parent could email me at 8 p.m. And I was that person that didn't want to let the email hang over my head. And so I would email back right away. I not only did that for my own, what I thought mental sanity, but I also wanted my students' families to perceive me as accessible, to perceive me as wanting to be a good teacher and to perceive me as truly caring about their students. So a lot of the choices that I made, I would say within my first five years of teaching are all about how other people viewed my capacity as a teacher. But when I set office hours, you know, I remember listening to this podcast episode from Angela Watson, who is a huge idol of mine. She's amazing. <laughs> she she truly is. And she talked about having the strategy of setting office hours. And I decided that I would try it. And so that school year, I decided that I would only answer emails and worry about school stuff between 8 a.m. and 4.30 p.m. So 4.30 p.m. was about two hours after school ended. And at the time I was teaching elementary school and school started right around 7.45. And so I thought 8 a.m. was just kind of a great start time. And not only did I set that boundary for myself, but I also communicated that on the documentation that I sent home. And so when I sent home my little booklet at the beginning of the school year talking about my classroom policies and procedures, I communicated that with parents, but then I also communicated that with students as well, just so that they had an awareness. And that was especially important when I started teaching middle school students who had access to technology where they could reach out to me directly themselves. And that was a huge game changer for me because what it did was it streamlined my focus and my productivity. So from that 8 to 4.30 p.m. time, so that I could maintain those office hours, I made sure that I worked on work. So that meant less kind of chit-chatting with some of my friends during some of those break times, but it also meant that I was much more comfortable and at peace with leaving work at work because I know that I had truly dedicated the time that I was at work to the highest priorities. And did anybody perceive you as being less caring or less committed or involved? I never had any pushback against my office hours. I never had any issues with that. And I think it was because I was upfront with those boundaries and parents respected that. I just feel like that kind of goes back to like one of the first things you talked about how like we need to put ourselves first, you know, it's like we need to be more aware of like what we need. And if what we need is to have a boundary and a break then, you know, to say, okay, I'm not going to answer emails at eight o'clock at night. I was one of those teachers that I never put my school email on my cell phone. And I was an assistant principal for a couple of years and I refused. I was like, look, if my school wants me to check emails on my phone, give me a phone then. So many teachers were like, how do you not? They're like, did you get my email? And I was like, no, I haven't opened my computer yet. Like, no, I didn't. But again, that was just like, that's a boundary that I set for myself. And you know, sometimes I would check my email at home on the desktop, but it's just like, you know what? Like I... I don't get paid enough to, to be aware of everything that's happening at home. So I just, yeah, going back to the whole, like, we need to have such a high enough value of ourselves to be willing to set those boundaries. And for some teachers, it might not be email. It might be something else. You know, like if you love checking email, if checking email at 830 at night brings you joy, go for it. But I think like, that's, I don't know, just being aware of the things that bring you joy. And if it doesn't set a boundary. So I, that's a great one. 
Yeah, absolutely. Another thing sort of coupled with that office hours boundary is during that 8 to 4.30 timeframe that I set my office hours within, I would still make a to-do list for what I needed to do, but I started making a power list. And so I've been following uh, Michelle Foray. I think she's now Michelle Emerson of mm-hmm. Pocket Full of Primary for several years. And she, I'd heard her mention the power list, which is essentially where you know, you might make your regular to-do list, but then you choose three or four items that are of the highest priority. And for me, highest priority means if I don't get this done, what is going to be the impact the next day? And so I would prioritize according to what would have the largest impact. And for me, that impact wasn't, am I going to feel better? It was, is our class not going to happen? You know, are other people going to be impacted by my choice? And using the power list was a game changer as well because it reframed my idea of what being productive looked like. We all know, and most of us are list people, that we have these endless to-do lists that, you know, it feels like we can never get accomplished. And with the power list, it really helped me pare down what I really thought needed to be done. And so every day or most days, I was able to leave work knowing that I had done the things that were the most important for us to be able to function the next day. And so that coupled with those office hours really helped me streamline my time. And I can say that the last three to four years of my career, I pretty much did not take work home. That's awesome. Certainly it was a journey to get there, but those boundaries with uh, having office hours and with using a power list, instead of writing down all the things that needed to be done, writing down those things, but designating what is it that absolutely has to be done today. You know, and also that comes with being okay with the fact that some of those things that I want to get done just because I think they would be nice. It was certainly a process as well. I have very vivid memories of like being back in the classroom and like working through my to-do list only to be like, none of this stuff is important. You know, it's like, I, I don't have my copies ready for tomorrow. You know, like I don't have my lesson plans written. So it's like, why am I making this bulletin board or why am I changing out the font on my morning slides? Why am I like reorganizing my library for like the tenth time this year? <laughs> you know, it's right? Like, exactly. That we feel like we have to do, but it's like, nope. What What are the essentials? Like, what What is needed for us to like get through the day tomorrow? So, yeah, yeah. I think those are such good, important things. I was gonna say, how did like you started this journey of like self care and wellness while you were still in the classroom? Like, how did that impact your teaching just in general? Like going through that journey those last couple of years in the classroom for you. It made me the happiest teacher I was in my entire career because I was able to show up more as myself. I felt less like I was putting on that teacher hat or I've heard teachers even refer to being in the classroom like a performance. It felt a lot less like a performance and more like me showing up in that space. I remember feeling like, and you talked about, you just mentioned, why did I put together those bulletin boards? Why was I doing those things? And For me, and I think for a lot of us, there are these ideas that we hold about what it takes to do our job well. And we feel like if we put up that bulletin board, if we have that perfect library, if we have that really incredible, awesome lesson with all the songs and all the dances, that that is what's going to make us a good teacher. And what my self-care journey taught me was that it was me showing up as myself that really made me great. And that those tasks that I was doing weren't really the crux of what the most impactful thing was about my instruction, right? Like I had a very conversational style with the students, but I never saw that as something that was beneficial until I went on that self-care journey and discovered that that was something in itself to offer. 
And so I would say that's the biggest thing is that I was just able to show up as me. And it felt like Alexis coming into the classroom as opposed to Alexis walking into the building, putting on her teacher hat and, you know, doing the teacher thing. I love that. That literally is like making me like tear up a little bit hearing that. And that's something that I want for every teacher in my audience to realize that it's it's not the bulletin boards. It's not the cute decor. It's not like how many emails you send to your parents or how great your test scores are. It's like you showing up as yourself is the best thing that you can give your students. Seriously, that's an amazing sort of like takeaway. I love that. What about like outside of teaching? Because I know you're not like in the classroom anymore. Like how has self-care and this wellness journey just impacted life in general for you? I feel like that's maybe a very personal question, but I'm, I'm, of course, I'm curious. Yeah, of course. So of course I have, you know, recently, because I have been thinking about this too, because I kind of feel like being outside of the classroom and having less of those stressors, my mind is in this space where it's telling me that maybe I need it less. And I don't necessarily believe that that's true, but I find that it's more challenging for me to maintain some of these practices that I've implemented since I'm out of that environment. And one of the things that I'm, I'm writing about, hopefully in a blog post that I'll release soon, is about how self-care is often needed when we most don't want to do it, you know, or we most feel like we don't need it. And so right now, if I'm being completely honest, I'm in a space where I'm even reframing my ideas about self-care from the classroom and what that looks like, because I was operating in such a high stress environment for such a long time and the need for self-care was so imminent that now being in a different space where certainly self-care is still the need because self-care is about more than the space that you occupy, trying to reframe what that looks like and kind of retrain my brain about some of my thoughts regarding self-care since my environment has changed. So it's a journey in and of itself. And it's this space of, you know, being kind to myself and honoring myself while also challenging myself to still make sure that I'm prioritizing my wellness and that I'm evaluating what my values are so that I am prioritizing self-care. Yeah. It's like the things that we don't want to do are usually like the sign that it's like the most needed. It's like, I don't want to exercise yet. You need it. It's like, I don't want to drink water. You need Exactly. (laughs) Self-care is hard. Oh my gosh. Yes. Self-care is so hard. I think that's, you know, one of those mindset shifts as well is learning that not only is it ongoing, but it's a challenge. Self-care typically doesn't feel good. Counterintuitive. Like you would think that it should. You would think, you know, but the thing is, it's about what's going to be best for your future self. So it may not feel good now, but it's going to feel good for the person that you will be in the future. Okay. I love thinking about that. And when this episode comes out, it's going to be in the middle of May here for my audience. And I know a lot of teachers are going to be getting ready for like summer. And so what are some things that like teachers could do over the summer that their future teacher selves will thank them for like when they are back to school in the fall? So I would definitely encourage teachers to do a couple of things. The first thing is that a lot of teachers kind of have this summer self alter ego, right? Where we're more fun, we're more relaxed, and it's because we have that time off. So the first thing I would encourage you to do is to ask yourself, what about your summer self do you wish you could carry into the school year? And then think about little things that you can implement to maintain that. So to kind of speak from a personal standpoint, I actually did this exercise last summer where I asked myself, I actually sat down and made a list, right? Because I'm, you know, still a teacher at heart and we, we adore lists. So I made this list about all the aspects about my summer self that I loved, that I wish I could bottle and capture for the school year. And one of the things that I figured out was that I loved how much time and how much freedom I had. And so I thought about how can I clear more time and create more space for myself during the school year? 
And I started thinking about all of the ways that I make decisions each day and how long some of those decisions take from lesson planning to picking out my clothes in the morning to packing my lunch to figuring out what we're going to have for dinner and making the grocery list. And I started to think about systems that I could implement for the next school year that would help streamline my day. And so last summer, I downloaded a wardrobe app and I took pictures of, you know, all of the the items that I had in my wardrobe and I started to just play around and put together outfits. So it was almost like picking out outfits long before you need them so that I could just go in this app. I could play around with what I needed to wear and I could set that up for my entire week so that it's something I didn't even have to think about. I started using meal calendars where I would plan out my meals for the entire month. I knew that I would cook two to three times every week. So I would need two to three meals each week. And so I would pre-plan my dinners for the entire month. I would pre-plan my lunches, which also helped me with making the grocery list, right? I sat down once a month for maybe an hour, maybe 90 minutes at a time. I wrote all of that out and that freed up so much time for me because for me personally, I spent so much time. And by the time I was making those decisions, I was so fatigued that it was really hard and took a lot longer than it should have been. I would encourage teachers to think about how you can create systems that help to create the time or space or whatever it is that kind of puts you in that mode of you being your summer self. Because typically a lot of us, you know, notice that there's a difference between who we are in the summer and who we are during the school year. And I think a lot of that just has to do with the amount of time that we have and the amount of breathing room that we have during the summer. Yes. I love this idea of like the summer self, because it, it there is a difference between like summer self teachers and like school teachers. And so, yeah, it's just like, we all want to have more of our summer selves throughout the year. I'm probably going to do that myself because <laughs> there's certain seasons of the year in my business that I'm like, I have a little bit more like breathing room and I wish I had that all year long. And yeah, some of these things are simple. It's just like, how can we be more intentional about carving out more space to just have more of our summer selves? Absolutely. I would also say, and I would also encourage teachers to think about creating an impact statement. This is similar to a mission statement. The mission statement talks about why something exists, but an impact statement talks about how you plan to, it really kind of talks about your legacy and the way that you intend to create change. And for a lot of teachers, we think about that in terms of our students, but also we have to think about the fact that our students are also kind of their own little ripples that will impact change in their own way as well. And I say this because when we think about the way that we want to impact change in our students, it can also help us streamline our instruction and some of our instructional practices as well. I would get lost in the weeds a lot with some of my instructional practices, because I thought that if I did this certain thing, it would mean that I was a great teacher. If I did this certain thing, it would mean that my students would really know that I cared. And when I was able to create my impact statement, which helps you identify your values and think about how you intend to carry out those values, it also helped to ground me when I was making choices for the classroom. So when it came to that bulletin board, or when it came to creating that song, or when it came to making that specific copy as a supplemental material for this lesson, I was able to go back to that impact statement and think, okay, this is the impact that I want to make. Does this choice align with that impact? And it really helped me focus on what mattered most for my students, what mattered most for my classroom culture, and ultimately helped me streamline some of those additional things that were taking up that time and energy that I wanted so much more of. Again, I'm like, that's such a good idea. And I think to some degree, like that also helps eliminate some of the decision fatigue as teachers experience, because like, 
if you decide ahead of time, this is like my number one priority in terms of impact, then like everything goes through that lens throughout the year. And you don't have to like guess or wonder, like, is this the right activity? Is this the right resource? Like it connects back to the impact statement. That's so smart. Exactly. It's about just showing up as your most authentic self and being able to carry your values into the classroom and translate that to your students as well. It's very easy to take on everything that everyone else says that we should value, whether it's achievement, whether it's test scores. And of course, we care about those things because we want our students to do well. But there are also larger things that we care about, like creating more compassionate human beings and thinking about how your instructional practices reflect that as well. And I think all of that, right, is still wrapped up in wellness and self-care because it's about you being true to yourself, right, which is a form of honoring yourself and which is a form of honoring that future self that I was talking about earlier, but is also beneficial to your students as well. I love it. I love this. I love everything that you've shared. (laughs) And I'm so excited to share this episode with my audience. Any final sort of like takeaways, tips, any sort of like last little nugget of self-care goodness that you want to leave with my audience before we wrap up the interview? Sure. So the one thing that I want everyone to remember is that self-care is ultimately about self-awareness. It's about knowing yourself deeply. It's about being honest with yourself. And it's about the expression of your authentic self in all of the spaces that you occupy. Because when you're able to show up as your most authentic self, you're also going to be your best self. I love it. I'm going to internalize that message myself. So Alexis, thank you so much for being here today. This was such a fun conversation to have. You're so welcome. If my audience wants to connect with you, what is the best way for them to find you on the internet? Yes. So you guys can find me at www.theafroeducator.com. You can also find all of my social media handles there. I primarily hang out on Instagram at The Afro Educator. Slide in my DMs. Let's have a conversation about all things teacher wellness or about all things teacher or about anything really. I'm pretty much an open book and would love to connect with you. I'd also love to catch you guys over on my podcast, The Afro Educator Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you catch your podcasts. And we will definitely link to all of those in our show notes as well. So again, Alexis, thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation to have. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Stellar Teacher Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are finding value in this podcast, It would mean the world to me if you would follow along and leave a five-star positive review. This helps me spread the word to more and more teachers just like you. And don't forget to join me over on Instagram at The Stellar Teacher Company. You can always find the links and resources from this episode in the show notes at StellarTeacher.com. I'll see you back here next week.